Hello, everyone, and welcome to Scene Partners. <laughs> I just knew to bail and let you <laughs> let you do whatever it was that you wanted to do. I like that it ended up kind of sounding like the Charlie Brown, the like. What is like? You 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 kind of like panicked for a second. You like stayed on that note for way too long. Well, I kind of hoped is like maybe he'll chime in and he'll harmonize with me, and maybe now we have a boy band. I don't think I have a falsetto voice that's good enough for that. <laughs> I actually don't know if I've ever heard your falsetto voice. I'll ask for it at some point in time, just as a little gift for myself. Hey. <laughs> This is our podcast, Scene Partners. That's Cody. And that is Chris. Was Chris. Is it still is. It is Chris. I'm not I'm not dead yet. That's true. <laughs> not dead yet. All right. So here we are, and we are going to record this episode. We are. Mm-hmm. You said you had a story or something for me before we well, started. Well, I kept thinking <laughs> that you were going to do that thing when you're like, so hey, uh, what's our, what are we going to talk about what are we, today? What are we talking about today, Cody? There it is. Today, we don't know what we're talking about, but you know, you said a very interesting thing earlier. You said that uh, we were going to wing it. Do you know why it's called winging it? Oh, because they used to hold the, uh, the, the words in the wings, or they'd call out the lines to them from the wings. Yeah, okay. So I guess, okay. Oh, you, I mean, you know no, what it is. No, yeah, no what, are they, what, what do they call it, winging no, that's, it for? That's, that's fine. It's fine. Yeah, you know, you know. Everybody I'm knows. Sorry. Everybody knows. This isn't some interesting. <laughs> Tidbit. Surely that's not what you wanted to talk <laughs> that's about. That's not what I wanted to talk about. It just occurred to me. It's a really cool thing. Because of the wings of the theater. And you're you're a much better teacher the, than me. They so. held the words there because what I always knew was that they, or knew, or was told, was that they, they would like glue the lines, like during Shakespeare's time, they would glue the lines to the wall in the wings so that they could run off and go look at it because they were doing so many shows in rep. Yeah. I know many people that still do that. <laughs> <laughs> Not me. That ain't me. That ain't a me thing. I have never, never done that. No, I was thinking, have you ever heard of um have you ever heard of the Iroquois Theater? Never. Well, children. Buckle up, because we're about to learn about the Iroquois Theater of 1903. When um, every year there's this theater company in the city of Chicago that does this production called Burning Bluebeard. And this show is all about the Iroquois Theater. And it, it was allegedly the, like, the most beautiful theater in Chicago. They had spent so much money building this place. It held... I. I think it was like 1,600 seats in there from what I remember. And, um, or sorry, 1,602. Why don't we say and two? <laughs> and, um, and, and two. And so <laughs> it held all these people and there was a very large, large theater. It had a lot of like bumps in the road whenever they were trying to build it. The architect wasn't getting people's, the, the drawings in time. And so they were having all these labor disputes and it was a lot. This massive, massive theater, and it was built. Um, it was built in an area right next to a police station, and it was ironic because they did it because they wanted the theater to um, give people the vibe that it was very safe, so that they could get female travelers to come in, and that they would be able to, like, I don't know, the people coming in to go shopping. I guess they could capitalize on this. Yeah, all of that is important 
in the irony of the safety of like, look at this false safety. Um, because the theater tragically burned down like one of the most, probably historically the most horrific theater fire of all time. I mean, fire in theater is terrifying. I mean, it's like there's, there's a reason for that because it was very prevalent because of oil lamps and all those things and bad wiring and my costumes. (laughs) What? I can just imagine what you would think. Like, oh no, my props, my costumes. Oh no, yeah, not not. I'm so. I'm. So, I want to save these people's lives. My costume. Oh, you didn't say that there were people in it at the time. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay. Yeah. I guess this is me telling a bad story. So the opening night of this show, there is. Uh, um, they were doing this this show called Bluebeard or something like that. It was, it was some like comedy about pirates mm-hmm. and. The story goes that there was someone backstage smoking a cigarette. And one of the issues that they were having with opening the theater is that it wasn't up to any sort of like a a code or anything like that. So this dude's backstage smoking a cigarette and he doesn't put it out all the way. And a fire starts. They built this theater, 1,602 seats. And they only had one entrance and one exit. It was one door in and out. Insanity. So they did all this stuff and and no one survived this fire from Ooh. what I understand. So there was a full house and nobody survived. I feel really bad for... For making a joke about yeah. your costumes. <laughs> so I was like, uh... But in the context of <laughs> the information that I had... Uh, let's see. Okay, so it says the main floor was uh, had approximately seven hundred seats, and then they had a, a like a grand stair hall, like a or, oh a second level in the dress circle. The first balcony was four hundred seats, and then the third level was five hundred seats. So there were three. There were two balconies. I mean, that's that's a yeah, lot. That's huge. Going on. I mean, there of course with that many people, that's a lot. But I just cannot imagine. I just can't imagine it. But what's really cool is that these people took the story and then they created this show called Burning Bluebeard. It would be so cool to do that sometime. But I I think one of the like gimmicks of it is that you get to watch it in Chicago, kind of near where it actually happened. But they they put on this show of these people trying to finish the production that, that was going on that night. So it's a little creepy. It's like you're waiting for me to... I'm waiting for you to literally do anything. (laughs) (laughs) Or have any sort of response. Well, I annoy myself with all the... Yeah, mm -hmm, yeah. So I was like trying to be a little more silent to give you the... I was just hoping you had an opinion. I mean, these poor people, they just all burned to death. These people are doing these productions of them. I mean, come on. No, no, that would be really cool to to go and see that, especially like at the location, like you were talking about, like where it actually happened. To sort of have that like surreal moment, it, it it would almost be like going to visit something like Ground Zero and being yeah. like, wow, to think that this massive building or whatever was here, and then to see this show and these real people were experiencing this this like tragic fire sort of situation. Yeah, like anywhere where there was a huge trauma. Yeah, is uh, yeah, it's almost like a little sacred spot. Um, but what's interesting about this play is that I, I'm from my understanding, it's played on a, a little bit more of a comedy. <laughs> How dare you make me feel bad for f- about five minutes now? 
I'm sorry. That was that was that was great. Um, but yeah, they they're constantly trying to finish the show, but the theater keeps burning. So they just <laughs> <laughs> get so irritated because I, I think it's almost like the the ghost of these people are stuck in this moment. But yeah, I guess that's just theater artists trying to make sense of a horrible event. Of course, I'm not totally sure, but it is interesting that somebody took this really cool, insane, awful story. And then they were able to use that to then inspire them to create this, you know, this this art that also kind of brings awareness back to it because you know nobody talks about this. This was a, it was a that's a horror. I mean, it was in 1903. It's a very yeah. long time ago. But you know, one of the reasons why theater is so strict about fires is because of things like this. You know, yes. And um, and it's just I I think it's really cool that they were able to bring you know some light to it and then also make it lighthearted yeah the same way so talking about inspiration whoa transition look at you i am trying really hard to play your role (laughs) that's probably why we're going to pretend this podcast never happened this is winging it (laughs) so um in where like you do a bunch of different things you play music you what's something else you do (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i edit this podcast oh, yeah, you edit podcast i sometimes go right you edit podcast you notice yeah. how i said that <laughs> instead of podcast you edit podcast i edit a podcast yeah and um you know and you're you perform and you also write even though you may not want to talk about that but you do or you have mm-hmm. and so where where are some things that like instant inspiration for you it's like locking you into to being inspired or like stories or like what 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 are you interested in and that kind of stuff you know typically i i listen to a lot of music and when i'm not listening to podcasts but i listen to a lot of music and i and that's one of the benefits of having something like spotify and that you know here's something similar to what you've been listening to do you want to hear more of this and like yeah Mm -hmm. i want to hear more of this and and I will oftentimes, especially like when I'm trying to get into a character, I'll start cleaning the house and then I'll just play the music and then just like think about w- what would this person be thinking during during this or whatever. And, and I use that a lot of times for, um, you know, kind of working through a story mm-hmm. or working through uh, – uh, especially with music, you have to listen to it to learn it. And, and But I like to – I'll like learn my music that I'm, you know, hired to play for uh, uh, like a, a Sunday or something like that. And then I will learn another song on my own to be like, I need something that's for me. Yeah. And, 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 but, you know, we recently, I know you watched it too, The, the Last Dance with. Um, I can't even talk about it. It's not even fair. You can't bring, <laughs> you can't bring that documentary. Michael Jordan into, into the, yes. Yeah. But I was watching that. None of us that, are worthy and, of that documentary even, let alone yeah, his career. <laughs> I'm, I'm watching <laughs> how passionate Michael Jordan is about basketball. Even when he was playing baseball, yeah, the, he was so, like that was his driving focus you know, 100% of that, the time. I, was it that he was passionate about basketball or was it that he was passionate about doing a good job and being in the moment? Because yeah. even with baseball, he completely switched, and it wasn't about because they talked to him about whenever he went and he was playing in the um in that minor team in the minor league team for the White Sox, 
that he would they were like you can't if you do these workouts you're going to ruin your basketball body yeah you're not going to be able like it's going to you've done all this this lifetime of effort and he's like no let's go yeah this is what i'm doing now yeah it is crazy because watching him be so focused and like to have this worldwide fame and he could not have cared less about it like he was so focused on winning and being there and present yeah. And even that there, there's that one moment where like Larry Bird, there's like one second left in the game and Larry Bird is the coach of the Pistons at the time. And he's upset because he's like, there's still a second of the game. Michael Jordan is still playing. Yeah. I, I like I know what's going to happen. And, and to watch someone be that passionate and that focused, like I, I'm watching this and I think I love playing music. I love being on the stage. But I don't not, know that I have that near. kind of passion yeah. about it, which is what's crazy. Because I mean, I feel the same way. I yeah. totally understand that. And it was 1.1 seconds. I'm not trying to I'm just fact checking you. Just there you go. Yeah, 1,602 <laughs> people. <laughs> Seats, rather. Not and two. <laughs> two tenths of a person could there sit in this go. seat. There you go. Um, but no, I. You know, that is a really funny shot, though, and they 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 set it up so brilliantly with the with the like, yeah, you watch all that. Every all of us are celebrating, yeah, and look at Larry Bird's face, and it's just you look stoicism at him, yeah, he's looking right at max. MJ, and it's like, Mm-mm, I know, and I mean, he barely missed that ball too. Hey, barely, you know what? he was still playing because that was the in and out, wasn't yeah. it? it was, oh. Yeah, just like it like rolled out, and it was. Oh. And that I was right imagine. after he came back from baseball. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, but it was cool watching that. Just uh, you know, it was almost like reliving, real reliving. Oh my god, reliving. What was it again? I'm gonna be really kind reliving. to you. Reliving. Yeah, thanks. Reliving <laughs> my childhood, seeing all these people. I was, I was like, man, I didn't think I knew sports. I only know '90s sports. <laughs> <laughs> I know the '90s Bulls era of sports. That's what I know, and that shows you how intense that was. Because even I knew who these people were. I yeah. knew their story. I mean, that's. It's just cool whenever you have a group of people. I think that's what I took from that show. Not only watching his passion was when you have a group of people that are so singularly focused on an end goal Mm -hmm. and that's, you know, they're working so hard towards it that, I mean, they, they get, they garner so much fame from it. Yeah. I mean, this was before social media or anything like that. And they were able to get people all around the world on their team. That's right. amazing. But to see... It's kind of like our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> to, to see someone so focused, though, that he makes everyone around him... Like, you know, there, there are times when they were like, he was a bully, but no one... There, there's not one person that was on his team that don't speak about him with reverence. Yeah. So imagine being on stage and, like, the audience isn't in this show, but you have that one person who is like, nope, I'm doing the material. Mm-hmm. I'm out there and I'm going to drive the show home regardless because there are still scenes to be had. There are still lines to be said and there are still moments to to act out in. And like what what that would do to elevate all of your cast members. And I can't say that I, I'm, I'm not speaking like I was ever that person by any stretch of the imagination, but to be that focused in the show and to be that in the moment that you would even then draw the audience back into something that maybe wasn't the best show ever 
Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, being being present in the moment is such a hard and difficult thing. I feel like every actor is, you know, constantly striving towards making that happen. And it is very hard. Yeah, because it's hard to set your personal life aside and then be like, well, I'm going to be in the 1860s for the next hour and a half of my life. (laughs) I like you chose the 1860s. Why not? There's a lot of period pieces. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I mean, I know watching that, that it's it's crazy to be able to watch a sports documentary and then feel like, like, man, I'm not doing enough in my own passion. And so even still to this day, Michael Jordan right. influencing influencing me. Well, it was one of those things like career. you and I both watched it and then we talked about, hey, we need to get together and we start need to doing do something. something. <laughs> like literally anything. Oh my God. <laughs> because because Michael Jordan lost the, you know, the playoffs and he immediately started working out the next day. Yeah, he was like, you know what? I'm not big <laughs> enough. I need to work out more. And I thought, it's just never gonna be me. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. I mean, I know for myself, I, I think music is a very easy way in. Like yeah. as, as far as, you know, just making a feeling. like Yeah, I, letting the emotional ties I love, draw you in. Yeah, like I, I love listening to, to jazz and to um, uh, soundtracks, actually. I listen to so many soundtracks mm-hmm. all the time. And um, it, it's probably because in my mind I'm you know, in the movie of my life <laughs> yeah. most of the time. So I'm like, yeah, look at me. I've got this soundtrack underneath me. But it is kind of cool how just like I can come to the house and come into this room that we record this podcast in now actually and just, you know, get on the couch and turn the lamp on and turn some music on. And then it's just, it's it's it, it's like the environment helps me create yeah. in a way or like makes it feel open. You look very relaxed when I came here. Uh, earlier. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was almost asleep on the couch, but that's after a work week, you know. Yeah, fair. Teaching to cheer in. Um, but it is it's still it is interesting how space can do the same thing. Yeah. So, music is a part of that for me, definitely. For a show or anything like that, I love creating a soundtrack for the show. I mean, we we created a soundtrack for Mockingbird. I've, I've done that for every show yeah. that we've done. That just kind of it immediately helps everybody know exactly what the mood is. Mm-hmm. And it's such an easy way to say, look, I mean, here is here is the the vibe, the energy. This is exactly what I'm feeling. Right. And it's just kind of nice to to get in that and to be able to sit in it and listen to it while you're going through your script or anything like that. Um, I wish that I could be inspired to the point of being a good writer. <laughs> you know, I I think everybody has the ability to tell stories. That does not mean that you are a good writer. I think, <laughs> well, I'll use this podcast as sort of a, a a way to talk about you for just a second, in that you are a little more of an oratory storyteller. I'm 100% not a writer. That I, is 100% true. <laughs> I, think, I think that you probably are better at telling the story than you are at maybe writing it down. I don't know. I've never written or read anything that you've written, to and be fair. And there's a reason for that. Because <laughs> I wrote when you're supposed to write whenever I was younger and had more feelings. But I, you and, know, we, yeah, fair. I, for two hours one night at this uh, uh, Mexican restaurant, um, Ooh, no, you, no, no. you no. told a story. I don't know what you're saying. The story of range. Um, oh my god! 
But for two hours, you told this story, and it was like the entire restaurant was honed in and listening to your storytelling. Well, that's also because I was really loud. I didn't totally realize how loud I am most of the time. Oh, my gosh. That's fair. Rage. Maybe this podcast should be the podcast where we tell the stories of our worst date. (laughs) Mm -mm. Nope. No? No. Well, I'll just tell you mine right now. Mine was rage. We don't have the time. Short for Rebecca, and I'll never forget (laughs) it. Maybe this is like... I'll tell you just that part of it, because I can't really tell you any more than that, but just going and sitting down with this person and then being like, hey, and this is just how they talked. It's not my fault. It's literally what they sounded like. Hi, I'm really into vocal fry. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, hi, my name is Rage. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Um, And I said some kind of weird Cody thing. I was like, yeah, short for Rachel. And she's like, "Mm, Rebecca. And I was like, ha, ha, that's hilarious. And she was like, I'm serious. My name's Rebecca. I was like, oh, (laughs) what? (laughs) But my friends call me Rach. It's like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. It's like, I'm going to be here at this moment. Every moment that I spend with you is too long. Yep. We've we've gone longer than I really wanted to be that was the one time I tried to date somebody outside of the theater world. I guess that taught me a lesson. Lesson learned. Yeah, that taught me a lesson. It reminded me of the joke that I tell people sometimes of, hi, my name is Christopher. That's with two R's. Yeah. (laughs) C-H-R-R-I-S. What? Maybe I'll start doing that. Mm, Yeah. Cody with one K. No, I was going to say Cody with an R, but with oh. R's, but, you know, oh, it was, it was no. whatever, I guess I wasn't up on the joke. Mm. You know, something else that I do that really uh, keeps me inspired is pretty much I try to at least once every day is to take an hour walk with no music, no podcast, nothing, and just like be out in the environment and yeah. just like soak up what's around me. And just like let my mind think and think. And then when I'm done thinking about it, I can then process and then move on to the next right. thing. And it, and it helps me, especially like when I'm trying to break a story or, or write some lyric or something to just like dwell on it to the point of where now even I'm tired of you know yeah. thinking about it. And, and, and I think that there's... Well, it's like trying a bunch of locked doors over yes. and over again. And then you finally find the one that opens and it's like... Huge. Yeah, when you find that one and then like the floodgates are opened and you just like and even with like thinking about a character, it, it just when you find that thing that works and everything falls into place mm-hmm. and you were like, I was the the block there and I just needed to clear my mind from all the stresses of work, all the stresses of life, relationships, everything else that was going on. I just needed to refo- refocus and repurpose. Yeah, I mean, most of the time, I think we are always the the thing that's in our way. Oh, for sure. You, it's interesting that you said that. I for, I, for, I always forget that you go on these walks. But um, <laughs> <laughs> these walks. Chris walking about town. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was researching this uh, photographer, Platon. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy. But Mm-mm. he has... You have undoubtedly seen his photography. And if you haven't seen his photography, you really should look it up. He has this really awesome... Um, website called the people's project that he started this nonprofit and it is so cool. I mean, he goes in and he, he brings his very specific style of photography, um, basically into the, into these war torn areas. And 
he will photograph people in the Congo and then he's going to go and he, he photographed immigrants in America. And then mm. he, um, and, uh, Oh my gosh. He, he photographed the people who were helping, uh, uh, with malaria in Africa, he like photographed all of the people that are helping the situation get better. Yeah, and he also um, has photographed like every world leader, everybody. He's he is it doesn't matter. I mean he he's photographed the like communist leaders and these crazy tyrants that are the cause of mass genocide, like in Myanmar, and and he he photographs these people and then he puts it out there for everyone to see and it's interesting in his own way of um of using his art to then you know raise awareness and to to use his fame in a way to to use his name to to bring people to the issues yeah which is cool um but he did say this one thing about how we should never let the tools we should never let our tools no matter how you know awesome they are um be in charge of our of our art like we should always be the the masters of it it shouldn't be the tools and interesting and he's just very cool he says all these these super awesome things and one of the um one of the things that he talked about was um why he doesn't use digital photography which this is just interesting i'm going to get to the actual point i promise but he doesn't use digital photography because he he doesn't want to look away from his uh, subject. Mm. So he always wants to stay engaged. So if he's using digital photography, he has to constantly look down at the screen. Yeah. And so he uses this like $30,000 film camera. Yeah. And it's like crazy. And most of the time it's just him. He doesn't even have assistance. And, um, and he gets these amazing, amazing pictures that he's kind of famous for being able to show you the personality of these people, no matter who they are. Yeah. Cause he does so much research about them to where he can ask them questions and bring them to a point where maybe they open up a little bit. And one of the things that people talk about when they talk about his work is, is the way that um, the eyes of the subject look because yeah. they are, you can just totally see who the person is. Yep. Um, but he talked about whenever he was growing up, his dad was, really into just he just doodled everything like it, it, with pen and ink and so he said i grew up with my whole life in in black and white paper everywhere it was just like white paper and black ink all over the place and that's one of the things that inspired him to do black and white photography but also his dad would sit outside in one spot in greece um and just draw Everything. And he said, one thing is interesting when you're sitting outside for a long time and you stay in one spot long enough doing not talking or engaging with anyone, just observing. He said, you start to notice every little thing and all the little things become huge things. He said, one of the things that I thought was really cool, he was like, you know, sometimes you notice like this, this woman comes walking onto the street and you wouldn't think that this was a big deal. But since you've been sitting there for so long, this is now a big event. This woman is now broken into your environment. Yeah. And you cannot help but focus on her because she's the new thing. And then you start to notice, oh, her bags that she's carrying are empty. What is she doing? And then you're just constantly wondering and your brain is filling in the gaps. And I just think that's so interesting because we don't, sit and think anymore no and so these small things 
we're not noticing because, you know, we don't have the time. And it's we, well, it's easier to be engaged by a little four by six screen. Oh, well, yeah, 100 yeah. percent. Which, oh, my gosh, we watched. You haven't watched The Social Dilemma yet. What's but. next? Ooh. What, you know, you Terrifying. saying that reminded me of uh, recently I was walking after it had rained and I watched this water droplet like hit the concrete perfectly and it like had it split into all these little drops that just bounced off of the concrete. Mm-hmm. So it like made these other little drops along the way. And it was one of those things that I noticed and it would and it was like the beauty of even just the droplet that we no longer it, it's so mundane. We don't observe it. We don't see it anymore. Yeah. Because, you know, life is moving a million miles an yeah, hour. That, it's it's so fleeting. It's so yeah. small. And, and and it's like we 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 fail to see the beauty of the world around us a lot of times because yeah. Oh, I need to drive to my next engagement and then I need to hurry up and get home so I can get cleaned up to come record a podcast or whatever. It's like we're always trying to get to the next thing without stopping to breathe for a second and even just like clear our minds and and let the anxiety just kind of like roll out of us for just a minute. Yeah. I mean, I know another part of that is just allowing yourself the opportunity to see those things. Yeah. And to to really like appreciate it. Which I know seems silly to say, or cr- or crazy, but it's you, you know we spend so much time trying to to get to the next thing, like you were saying. But I think I think that we just in a in a in effect close ourselves off, yeah, to being able to really think about like you know that event that you had, yeah, and be like you know this isn't weird, this isn't silly. I know, like I I actually had this conversation today with some kids in my class of you know, we're going to do this exercise in class. And, um, and I actually had them listen to some music and, and this is really deep, but they were, they were, were younger. And I was actually talking to them about Rothko, which is hilarious, but I <laughs> like in an appropriate way, Yeah. <laughs> but I was talking to them about how he brings emotion into his pieces. And, um, because you know, they're going through an emotional time right now and it's just oh, yeah. kind of like, how do you get them to a place where they can express emotions in a in a healthy way and so one of the things that i thought was you know they need to be able to they, they could paint they could paint these emotions but how do you explain that to a middle schooler you yeah know? And, and and it not be like oh okay and weird but trying to find a way in of just telling them you know i understand this is this is not something that you're used to doing and I had this thought because, you know, we talked about Ben Corbett Smith, who I screamed his name into the mic the other day. One of the things that he used to always say that would drive me crazy was, but what if you did? (laughs) 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 And it was just, what? And he just would say that all the time. Like, you know, I have a problem getting into this monologue. I just, I, I don't think that I can do it. Well, but what if you did? Yeah, that's what I just said. I'm having a problem getting into it. I'm not really <laughs> totally sure how to do it. Yeah, but what if you did? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but I started thinking about that, and I and I was talking to these kids, and I said, you know, it's easy to have to just block ourselves off and to make fun of something, but to allow yourself the opportunity, the what if you did moment, you know, to allow yourself the opportunity to just be like, yeah, I'm going to just sit here 
and be open to the fact that I'm frustrated or whatever and I'm going to paint these colors and I don't care what it looks like in the end. It's just about the release of this feeling. Yeah. And there were, of course, a lot of them that were giving some supreme side eyes. But, you know, in the end, what was really cool is that they all ended up producing some really cool stuff. I right. Was like, this is amazing. I, I I would I wish I had painted this. I can't paint like this. This is amazing. <laughs> right. But it was just such a cool moment. It was. Yeah. You know, it's one of those like uh, before usually most rehearsals that you have, you always have us do like those uh, the, the centering exercises, basically. But they're stretches, you know, fill yeah. your spine, roll up upon itself, you know, take a deep breath, close your mm-hmm. eyes, center yourself, basically. And it took me a long time to not roll my eyes at those. Like, what are we doing? Come on, let's just, let's just get to the rehearsal. Let's move on. Yeah. And then it wasn't until I was older that I appreciated the let's take a breath. Mm-hmm. Let's let everything that's happened before we got here go away. Yeah. Let's it just center ourselves exist in the building and exist in this space. And then it, it was. It reminds me of uh, Brian Cranston talks about the thing that he he does with his scripts is he'll sit down and he'll write every emotional possibility yeah for every scene that he's in, and I thought that's incredible. He's like that way I know what's possible in that scene, mm-hmm. and when the moment comes and I have to feel whatever it is, like I already know that it's there and that it can exist, and then it's it's. It just happens, and I let it come naturally, whatever that feeling is in the scene. And I thought, that's so interesting to think about, but what if it did? Yeah, it's the, what if, what if it yeah. did every single time? Ugh, drives me crazy that he used <laughs> to drive me so crazy, but he actually got through to me But somehow. he was right, yeah. It's like, ugh, that's so frustrating. It is so frustrating. Is, I mean, you would almost think, because you don't want to overwork the material sometimes like that, but... Like that's what that's immediately where my brain went, which is sad because I I hear that and I'm like, well, I don't want to overwork it. Yeah, I don't want to just I don't want to sit down and be like, these are all the possibilities because then I feel like that just limits me. Mm-hmm. Now what? So now I can't discover anything. I think, but and that is the complete wrong way to think. Yeah, and I recognize that, but and it's probably somewhere deep down, just me being like, this is a justification of me being lazy. Yeah, you, you you also have that actor's ego of like, I I, I think I can my fill own. this out. <laughs> <laughs> I could read this and be just fine. Yeah, but I I do think that you can overwork the material sometimes. But really, it's 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 about allowing yourself the opportunity to say, you know, what if I sit down and I actually do find every available moment? Yeah, in in this situation, how cool would that be? Yeah, especially because on Breaking Bad. Um, that that moment where there's the moral dilemma of if he saves this person that is actually doing harm to the person that he cares about, and and in that moment when they were filming, he changed his mind and he rolled that person back over and allowed them to basically die. Mm-hmm. Is that too dark? No, but I think what's awesome about that is. That even though he was so certain about the moment that he was in, and this is probably why he's so amazing and he's got the career that he has, even though he started off in Tide commercials. <laughs> <laughs> and voicing villains on Power Rangers. Oh, yeah. Um, I said that like I knew, but I didn't know that. <laughs> uh, you pulled a Chris. Oh, yeah. Welcome to that side what? of the podcast. <laughs> I don't think I knew that. <laughs> 
Of course, you knew that information. Your eyebrows shot straight up to your well, hairline. At least one of them did. At least one. <laughs> of them did. Um, but yeah, I, 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 it, it, it's, it's the, um, it's the ability to be married to something and then to say, you know what, I can make a different choice. Yeah. Instead of just constantly playing the safe thing, because I think that, you know, I've never had any sort of fame like that. But it's just like looking at him is looking at MJ. You know, it's, oh, it's yeah. all the same stuff. It's his ability to pivot in the moment and to allow himself the freedom to be like, no, this isn't working. I'm going to change it up. It doesn't matter about, you know, my stats or, you know, winning an award or anything yeah. like that. It's about this moment calls for this and it feels right. And that's what I'm doing. And allowing yourself to be able to to really feel those instincts and go for it. Yeah. I mean, I know it's. That's a very difficult thing, even on stage, to just allow yourself the opportunity to give in to the emotion. When we did Christmas Carol, it was hard to watch all of you guys and being the the Scrooge that the, being the young Scrooge, rather, that's who I was, that had to have the blocked off emotions. And you guys are giving these really great performances that I would I would sit there and watch and be like. I want, I want to act with my friends, but I have to be like <laughs> this dead, emotionless oh like person gosh. in this moment. And and especially watching you and Timberly in particular give you guys self over to these to these scenes. And it was like, I really want to have this big dramatic scene, but I have to kill like it has to die with me on the vine. Yeah, but you see that what was interesting is that you feel that way about it. But watching it, it was all about when we've talked about this, it's all about the struggle. Yeah. And you were having to what what was so awesome and what is so brilliant about David's script that he did was that you get to see Scrooge make that choice. Yeah. To 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 actually like you see him become evil. He takes he could go right or he could go left. Yeah. And you see him take the turn. And you know what path it goes down, but you just as the audience member, you just hope. You're mm -hmm. just like, oh it's like the and angel and the devil so on each shoulder. Awesome is that even though it may not have felt that way to you in the moment. It was really pretty brilliant. I mean, because you, you, the audience had hope for you, mm. even though the old dude who made all the choices is standing right next to you, yeah. which is so awesome. It's so awesome. I love that so much. You know, I, I had, I was in Pride and Prejudice one time playing Darcy, and I had a very similar situation because all of <laughs> Act One, I was like, I'm standing in a corner. I'm just yeah. mean. I'm not. I have no emotion. I have to stand upright the whole time. That show was probably one of the most physically demanding shows I've ever done, and I barely moved. Yeah, because you, you're like stoic. You you just stand there, shoulders back, perfect just posture. Just constantly, just constantly standing there in the world's worst boots. Oh, it was so uncomfortable. <laughs> but that the audience probably didn't know that. That's not that was like in the script. We can Darcy's wearing see uncomfortable your pain. boots. It's physical. <laughs> it's all over your face. But man, just like going through that show and and wanting to have fun with everybody else, watching people in the uh, party scene in the beginning of that play, and I'm just standing off to the side, literally watching with a stoic face and disapproval. I was like, man, I just want to. I want to do that. I yeah. want to go play. It's like being the lead is not fun. <laughs> yeah, you feel like a dead fish almost. You're like, come on, guys. I, I wanna, I wanna, it's I my turn be, now. Yeah. It's my turn. <laughs> Hey, do you have any more interesting stories about theater fires you want to tell us? It felt like a really good lead-in. 
<laughs> okay. I'm just trying to be the transition dude. Well, I, I was actually thinking about, because we were talking about MJ and um, um, Corbett. <laughs> yeah, it's, you you would know as Ben Corbett Smith. Ben Corbett Smith. Okay, Ben Corbett Smith. And I was thinking like the thing, because after watching MJ, I was inspired to be like, I want to do something and I want to be focused on it. Yeah. I want to like read a script and sit down and write everything about this. I want to beat the script out like to to the, the ends of the, I want it to look like I was putting on a film. And did it happen? I, no. <laughs> um, to be fair, I just finished watching it on Tuesday. So. That's true. That's true. But... And I was thinking about the things that inspire us or people that inspire us. And, and you know, I mentioned uh, uh, Brian Cranston for me, but I didn't know if maybe there was somebody outside of maybe Ben Corbett Smith that inspires you. You know, I I feel like BCS. I would be remiss to say that Ben Corbett, like, ins- inspires me every day. I just, I I do draw inspiration for, for his, you know, teaching style of knowing that I could care less while he was teaching me because there's no way that I didn't have that written all over my face, but he still kept trying Yeah, and knowing what I know now. Yeah. So maybe that is inspiration. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But he was an amazing teacher. Hindsight 2020, I guess. Um, But, and luckily he's not listening to this and being like, well, everything you just said, you have ruined, (laughs) but he might, but what if he does? Yeah, it's true. You know, I know that there are some, famous actors out there that inspire me but to be honest i think i draw so much inspiration and this may sound cheesy but from watching people that haven't really done this before yeah and they meet it for the first time and then they 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 like when i say meet it i I mean like a hundred percent meet it like they rise to the occasion and they they go at the script and they they just give themselves over to the opportunity because it's intimidating Oh my gosh, is it intimidating? Yeah. To, to to throw yourself into this kind of a situation and be like, you know what, I'm gonna have my emotions on stage and and that to me is super inspiring. Yeah. And to to just watch people not give up in that way. Um, you know, I, I have plenty of friends in the industry that that, you know, have, have made it really far and um and they continue to stay true who they are. And yeah. I think that's incredibly ins- inspiring to me that they can not let it get to their heads, you know, especially whenever I see in smaller communities, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, I see where you're going. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, be careful about what you say. But, but no, I see it all the time. Especially it's what's crazy in, to me. It's like, dude, we're we're in the middle of nowhere. How do yeah, you have no. this attitude? You can't have this attitude. You're you're doing all of this for the wrong reasons. Yeah, you're not like Daniel Day Lewis. Who do you think you are? There was one person in particular that like pops into my head thinking about this that you and I both were sitting behind a table at this particular audition and they came in and they handed me a resume and they basically were like, There it is. Oh, it's my time. (laughs) Yeah, I've done all this. It's my time to play this particular role. Well, would you like to (laughs) still would you like to audition? Yeah. Well, I mean, if if I have to. um, Yeah. Yeah. No, that's how this works. (laughs) I've never felt entitled to any role ever. Never, 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 never. And I run a theater company and I don't feel (laughs) entitled to a role there. Oh, my gosh. I. Lord, um, it just it, it was crazy, and I know that maybe like sometimes it just gets in your head, like it's my time. 
Yeah. But oh man, that was crazy. Also another another time of watching that happen where you just get so disappointed is when someone comes in and they're just so not prepared, which yeah. I know is not what we're talking about, but they come in very cocky, like, yeah, no, I've done this for thirty years and you know, I don't I'm I'm good. Well, where's your monologue? I didn't know I needed one of those. Who doesn't <laughs> require a monologue what are you talking about you don't didn't know you needed a you don't just have one i keep no. four on How do you the back like in case i ever have to throw one out i keep I four in my back pocket at all times even today yeah if somebody asked i'd be like well i mean i at least know half of half of something yeah I'd and i throw can make something up the together other yeah half <laughs> if i have to but i will do something my gosh i would never be so arrogant to walk into something and be like i come on yeah. You you know who I am. <laughs> you know what I can do. <laughs> well, I mean, I anyway, the, I know that that was totally besides the point. That's probably the problem with uh with winging it. We're just But no, you, know, you said a few weeks ago something about like you hate when an act you 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 will see an actor not give themselves over to doing something. And it's it is very hard not to watch. Yeah, it's it's very hard to see somebody go like 75% there and then you see them hit the wall and it's like, oh, you could you it could be so great and you're yeah. so close to it. But then they pull themselves back and it's hard because you have to think, how do I help this person? Yeah. Get past this point and sometimes you can't. Sometimes they refuse. They don't, they're not open to it or they don't. You're getting in your own way. Yeah. Yeah. They, they exactly. And they, they hold themselves back. I guess because you get around this group of people and you're so comfortable with them, but you're not yet comfortable enough to let yourself be given over to the emotion, whether that's like the full anger or the full sadness or, you know, whatever the thing is that you're trying to get, you know, to the peak of that you're trying to emphasize on. And you're like, Come on, you you're you're so close. You're so close to breaking through. Let it happen. Just let yeah. whatever whatever the emotion that you're feeling like. Don't just wall up and be done with it. Well, and I think it definitely is a trust issue in that situation because I feel and I know that as a director, I would never leave lead and lead an actor into a, a bad place. Yeah. And if I did, I would immediately be like, whoa, okay, we're, we're not going that way. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't work. We're going to redirect. I'm really sorry. I thought that this would work and we're going to change this. Um, but as an actor, it's a very vulnerable thing. And you have to trust who you're working with so much to know that, yeah, I, I, can, I can take off down this road. And if it's wrong, I will either feel it or the director will stop me. Yeah. But it's scary whenever you're you're not in a situation where you're like, the director's not going to stop me. I'm literally just like, I, who knows what I'm doing out here? <laughs> <laughs> Am I doing this right? And so I think, I think you know, that's a kind of a, a scary thing for actors. It's just, yeah, I don't, I don't know if they're going to actually, if they're actually here for me or if this is just like, if they're really into it. Yeah. I know that's that for one you know, I, I know that I tend to get very passionate about whenever I'm directing people and I'm basically acting my way through the scene with them in my own mind. But, um, when they, when they are so close to it, it's like you almost overcompensate for it. You just want them to know, yes, I am exactly here with you. Yeah. It can go more. 
and you can get there if you just like push just a little bit harder. And then after that, you're going to be golden. You're going to be good. Like it's going to happen every single time after that. But just like you just have to go over this one hurdle. And you know, after that, they're going to feel it. Yeah. And it won't matter. Like they're going to be so into it. And, and that's something else, too, is that they will everyone else will rise to that occasion and you know it and it's like mm. oh come on please it's almost it's yeah in that situation it's almost like if i can get one actor to do it and everyone else is watching mm-hmm. and that's also a very powerful thing i love that in a rehearsal room is one of the things i miss is directing a show or being in a show and you're directing a small scene and you have other people in the rehearsal space and you notice that everyone is sitting down and if they're not working on their script it's not that they're talking to each other they're actually watching yeah the process. Yeah. And when that means that every single person is really involved in it and they just they're hungry for it to be great and they're supporting each other. And it's not even just like what we talked about when it's on stage. It's it's like I am I am interested in your journey to get to this next place. And when everybody is in that same I mean it same or same arena, it it is amazing. It's like it's like watching the um the auditions, when you're on the other side of the table not auditioning and you're watching other people audition, I know people get nervous, but it, you want them to do a good job. Oh, man. And I try to tell that every single time I do a show. I try so hard to make sure that everybody knows because that was a hard lesson for me to learn. Oh, yeah. And I remember <laughs> um, at school they, they gave a lot of opportunities for um, us to audition for really big casting directors at, at nice theater companies in New York and in LA and in Chicago. And that was an awesome thing that the program had. And I remember auditioning for um, some casting directors at Looking Glass Theater and at American Players Theater and um, uh, North Light Theater. And uh, maybe one more. I can't totally remember. But, um, and they, afterwards, they were talking to us and they were like, look, you have to realize that as casting directors we need you to be good because that is our job is to find somebody that can fill the role. Yeah. And if you're awesome, then you make our job easier. So we're not sitting back here wanting you to fail. We're wanting you to succeed because your success is also our success. Yeah. And we want to find you. So, I mean, of course you're going to be nervous, but I mean, we need you. It's us that needs you. You want to do this, but like we, this is our job. Like we want this to be so awesome. And in the same way, at a rehearsal, you're watching this and you're like, man, I this. You want this to be engaging. You want this yeah. to be like really, really good. I don't want anybody to ever show up to an audition and be not good. Yeah, it's like you want everyone to be so amazing that it is impossible to cast a show. Right. And I mean, I've definitely. Uh, it's one one cool thing. Um, you know, before everything happened, before the theater shut down, I feel like we were doing such a great, like we were getting to such a great places in the company where people were showing up for auditions and, and it was getting very difficult. I mean, a lot of the times as a director, you have an idea of who's going to play what role. And it was getting to where I, I could not, I couldn't figure it out. Yeah, You'd see so many good people, like you'd have like, oh, this person could be this, this, and this, and then yeah. you have somebody else show up, and they would be, like, so good at one of those things, and then somebody else would show up, be good at, like, the third thing, and you're like, oh, man. Yeah. Now I know exactly where to put this. The puzzle is very complicated. Yeah. 
it could be very different shows. And yeah. what am I looking for exactly? I mean, I know with Mockingbird, we had one particular instance, one one character that could have gone three ways. Yeah. And it was, oh my gosh, it was, oh, it was so hard. It was so hard <laughs> to arrive at a conclusion because it was just like, you know what, at, at any moment, like this could be, this could be great. Any, any direction that we, that we swing, we could hit a home run. Yeah. And it just. It just it, in that particular instance, what's sad is that eventually you have to start going down to like really small stuff. Yeah, and you start looking at okay, you know, how old are these people? What do they look like with the rest of our cast? Is or the, like body types? What is this? What? How do I want it to actually look? Yeah, which is what you want. You want it to get that complicated. Yeah, you you want it to come down to the little stuff and not like oh well, I think he could pull this off or I think yeah. she could pull this off. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've been very much the mm-hmm guy. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's been a very tiring week for me. And you just had a big dinner? I did. I did. You were almost passed out when I came I in? I did have a big dinner. So I'm sorry if I'm just kind of like all over the place. You and your dog Ernie were passed out on the couch? It was a great little time. We were having a good time. He was um, so tired he didn't even bark at me. You know what was really awesome was seeing you come in and seeing the scene partner stickers on the on the desk. That was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. You were like, look, I got you a present. And I was more excited than you were. I was like, dude, these are awesome. These well, are so I've cool. had them for a week. That's how long it's been since I've seen you. I've been meaning to bring one to you. When Lexi showed up at the house and she saw that, like, the package outside with the sticker. Oh, my gosh. She was so mad at me. She gets so mad about sticker. Well, that's because you've been threatening for weeks to put that big sticker on the wall and she is yeah, that's not true. She's not going to be about it. And thank you, Aubrey, for advising me against it i think it would be great if you like put one you open up the closet doors yeah you see this is why this is why like aubrey is nicer than you are because you you just want to see destruction well this is also why i'm not married yet that is 100 (laughs) percent correct that is 100 percent correct aubrey's been married for a while and chris has been married 20 years never anniversary happy anniversary um it's a long time uh Actually, you know, we had a conversation. And I haven't even talked to you about this yet, but I did talk to Aubrey the other day. Look at us having a real conversation at this moment. Yeah. Um, uh, I did talk to Aubrey the other day on my way home in that like crazy rainstorm. And I was talking to him about that show that we were discussing the other day and about that project that we really wanted to do with him. I'm a third of the way through that script, by the way. You stopped. Well, because stuff, stuff it's, happens. It's so intense. Yeah. It's it, so intense. The thing I love about it is that there's so much um, non sequitur, because mm-hmm. I know the end of it. Yeah. Well, and that's that not, it makes so that much sense watching it. You're like, oh, that's so good. It is so good. I'm super excited about it. I hope that everything works out and we get to do it. But Aubrey was very excited about it. And, you know, just like we had talked about earlier in this. It's just so awesome to have friends like him. I mean, I called him up and he was like, yeah, I just got back from my huge anniversary trip. And I was like, neat. Hey, um, (laughs) guess what? He's like, oh, boy. He's like, you caught me at a good time. I'm fresh off vacation, so I'll agree to pretty much anything. Nice. But but yeah, you're right. It's nice to have people, especially in a smaller area, to just immediately agree. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do this thing. Let's let me write you this music. Let me take these photos. Let me. Let you do guys something. come do this art over here. Mm. You know, and I, I guess I should say, you did ask me who inspires me, and I, I did kind of, 
I, I'm not saying I. It was definitely not a throwaway. I do really, I do really get a lot of inspiration from people in our community and yeah. the people that we get to work with, and and how much that they are willing to give to us, even though this is not their 100% passion, but they can see the value in it. Um, because it is the thing that I think about all the time, but I also understand what it's like to have a nine to five job and, you know, oh yeah, this is a really nice thing that we have in our community, but you know, maybe I'm tired. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but they always, always show up. It's just so nice to have people that show up for you and say yes. Um, as a kid, the person that inspired me to act who is your person? Michael Jordan. How dare you? <laughs> no, it was not Michael Jordan. No, who was yours? My person was Jim Carrey, 100%. Oh, yeah, as a kid. Yeah. Mine was Chris Farley. Dev. <laughs> was it just a similar name thing? You were like, oh. Well, it's cool to see somebody with, you know, because not very many famous people were Chris at the time. Now there's too many because it's a very Chris common Brown. name. Hmm. No one could see that Alexis face mm. that you just gave me from Shit's Creek. There was <laughs> no, no there one was, else could see that but me. There were too many inappropriate jokes yeah, that I, I thought about making. You, that was um, very good. You you held you mm. held yourself back. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, well, yes, why Jim Carrey? Man, I I think because I he just was so funny. Like he could do so many things, and I loved the impersonations I thought it was so funny he was just willing to go there and really when you watch his comedy you think yeah this is a a kid would eat this up it's true because he just was so outlandish and big who has that much energy his all the time I know and his his motions were huge and the way that he would contort his face and I loved impressions I wanted I, I just wanted to be a good impressionist whenever I was a kid and um and so being able to, and my family thought it was funny because I would sit around and I would practice all the time trying to sound so, and do, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> trying to do Jim Carrey all the time. And so I would do that. And even though it was really bad, I'm sure they laughed like I was perfect and they would talk about it all the time. Like it was great. And so I got this validation from yeah. it. And then your dad is really me, supportive, by the way, he's very supportive. <laughs> And he's always been that way, and I love him for it. And it's yeah, I'm incredibly lucky with my parents because Lord knows I it, I could have very easily, and I'm sure I was very annoying, but they never let me know. My sisters did, but they did not, <laughs> so they evened it out. Um, but yeah, they would just they would sit they would and they would ask me unprompted. They would just be like, "Hey, why don't you do your?" And it was like, "Yeah, I'll do it." It was just so cool, you know. So Jim Carrey was probably. A big one. I don't know if other people say that, but then you know, even later on in life, I remember. Um, did you ever watch his movie Majestic? Oh yeah, I, oh, his dramatic films God. are my favorite ones. I actually. know, and you know, this, this was interesting. I, Eternal I Sunshine. We were talking about, or we, sometimes my reality gets blurred a little bit. If you and I had a conversation, or if I heard it on a podcast, or if it's something that Lexi and I were talking about, or if I was dreaming, I sometimes I just don't, <laughs> I don't really know what's real anymore. But um, where we were talking about, you know, comedians and being, you know, more available in their serious yeah. work. And I guess it's because comedy is so much harder. Oh my, yeah. It's oh, comedy yeah. is so, so hard. hard. And, Dramatic work. I mean, one, if you can achieve 
that level of comedy. Dramatic work is, I, I just feel like, yeah, you can kind of sit in that a little bit and take it easy. You know, Kristen Wiig is like that too, and Bill Hader. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, the two of them. Especially Bill Hader, yeah. in my mind. You know what's interesting? You say that, and I, uh, it's it. You watch kids watch um, animated films, and when they have those quiet, dramatic moments, they they will stop, you know, playing or doing whatever they're doing. Yeah, they'll pay more attention, and they're like zoned in on it. But on the comedic parts, they're not like as engaged. But they quote those things later on, right? And it, to me, it's so crazy. It's, one of those, it's like lighter, so they don't feel like they have to focus. Yeah. Like it's, I can't explain it in that when it comes down to the human condition, we're all paying attention. Like when uh, Inside Out, when Bing Bong, you know, is disappearing, you watching a kid engage with that, and as an adult, you're dare you? You're like, yeah, well, okay. (laughs) But but as an adult, you're like really honed into that, and then they're like playing as uh, you know, Joy is running around in the film having fun, but they're also quoting the film later on, and and. I I don't know what that phenomena is. I've never actually like looked into it. Why kids are so engaged in the dramatic side of it, but that makes the comedic parts so much harder to do because yeah. it's like, How can this be funny and attention. memorable? Yeah. You know, are you going to be like living in a van down by the <laughs> river? <laughs> that is the worst Chris Farley impression. I'm that going wasn't to a Chris probably Farley cut that. that was that wasn't a Chris Farley impression. <laughs> That was just saying this, but no one else got shaggy, to see you do like the hand. Zoing, oh, that was amazing. That was amazing. <laughs> um, what like is living in a van down by the river, man? <laughs> Come on, Scoob. That's a different van. I'm gonna get sued under that. I'm gonna have yeah, to cut that. That's a, yeah, different that's a van. much different van. That's a very different. That's van. the mystery machine. Uh huh. Oh, there it is. Um, yeah, I, I don't. You know, I think a lot of it. And maybe it has to do with the fact that when things get serious, it's almost like there's a stress level there. Yeah. And when things are funny, it's a little lighter. So you're not like, oh, yeah, whatever. It's kind of like in a restaurant, everybody's having a good time until you hear one person not. (laughs) Yeah. And then it's like, what is going on over there? (laughs) Yeah. There's nothing worse than doing a comedic show, though. And the laughs are not there. Oh, yeah. You're just, oh, no. You know, oh, I, no. had, I, I remember I was in this show one time. Um, we should make a <laughs> drinking game of every time you or I say, I was in this show one time <laughs> during this podcast. Um, but I, I was in this show, and it was a comedy, and we walked off stage, and I was just, oh, I was so angry. I was furious because there were no laughs. There were no laughs at all. And I walked off stage at intermission and I was just like in a terrible mood. And I went to my dressing room and people were passing me. And I said on my way to the dressing room, I was like, man, this audience is terrible. And the director happened to be there and they grabbed my arm and they were like, no, no, the audience is not the problem. It is never the audience's fault. It is your fault. It is your job to entertain them and to get them to laugh. And if they are not, that is your fault. I was like, ouch. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, so I'm a terrible actor and I should go home. We're so <laughs> apt as actors to blame the audience and say, oh, it's, it's a like dead audience. Literally blah, blah, blah. anyone else. And it's like, we we could be doing better. I mean, I think on those times when That's that happens, that and it does happen where sometimes just the the energy in the room doesn't give itself to that. It doesn't mean that the show is bad. 
But as actors, I think on stage, we want that instant gratification. And when it's not there, we're like, what's wrong with these people? Yeah, we don't have audience members like you with the very distinctive laugh That's overpowering true. people. And then it becomes funnier. Yeah, that is, that is true. And you don't have people there to make other people laugh. <laughs> like, no, it's okay. Listen it's, to that guy. He's it's so almost loud. like you need a plant in every audience. Like, hey, can you just sit and I just laugh? I also like that you said that to me like you aren't that person. <laughs> Way worse than I am or have ever been. Yeah. Yeah. There was one time in particular where we were both at a high school production of Once Upon a Mattress and Chris... And I. And you, yes. We're laughing so hard that audience members actually turned around to look at us. And then we ended up in, because this was a high school production (laughs) that we were watching, ended up taking Snapchat videos of us laughing it was like oh isn't that precious to be fair there was the <laughs> the moment was when when they bring the bird in the cage i was not expecting the bird and it was an actual person dressed up as the bird it was ah! a it was no it was the loudest awful shrieks i've ever heard in my life and i was expecting that to kind of happen but I don't know. It just threw me off. Like, I've only ever seen it where they have, like, a little cage with a little bird and someone off stage makes the noise. Yeah. <laughs> Never a have full, I seen A full mascot. Full ca- yes. <laughs> <laughs> just, oh, it was the death of it, The, the of play everything. actually stopped because we, we were so distracting. We couldn't stop Tears. Laughing. Tears down my face. Well, at least we can be there for the children. Yeah. Well, that feels like a good place to stop. Man, I hope so. And <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. this is about the time they'll start hearing the music underneath. They're like, this. so wait, why did we talk about that theater? <laughs> <laughs> so what did we learn? Well, the Iroquois Theater burned out in 1903. Cody likes Jim Carrey, inspired by community members. And Chris is bad at impressions. Chris is bad at impressions. <laughs> Well, this has been Scene Partners. And that was one of the Scene Partners. And that was the other one. Scene Partners.